Welcome to the Macmillan Report. I'm Marilyn Wilkes, your host, and our guest is Kaveh Kushnud, an associate professor at the School of Public Health at Yale University. Professor Kushnud is an infectious disease epidemiologist, and his primary research interests are the epidemiology, prevention, and control of HIV-AIDS and tuberculosis among drug users, prisoners, and other at-risk populations in the United States and in resource-poor countries. He also mentors researchers from around the world and teaches courses on HIV-AIDS, global health and research methods, and ethics. Today we talk with him about global health education and how to conduct research in resource-poor settings. Welcome, Professor Krishna. Thank you. It's good to be here. Interest in global health education has dramatically increased over the past few years, uh, particularly here at Yale. Why do you think that is? It is true. I would say in the last 10 years or so, we have seen um, an increase in global health interest in uh, colleges and universities across the United States. I haven't seen a definitive study, a report that talks about what are the factors that are behind this interest, mm -hmm. but there are some speculations and there are factors that have been identified. And I would say all these factors are interrelated. First, I would say globalization. Uh, the fact that we are not connected in ways that we were not connected before, so we can be aware of events happening halfway around the world mm -hmm. in an instant. So if there's a famine going on or there, is, um, there are health issues, we can become aware of them, and the students become very interested and engaged. Universities are becoming globalized. Um, the curriculum is changing. There's more international students that are coming to Yale, and there are more students from Yale going abroad. So they're having these experiences. The other factor I would say is the AIDS pandemic. Mm -hmm. AIDS is the plague of our time. And I think the devastation of AIDS pandemic, but also the response um, has been a source of inspiration and has captured the imagination of many of our students. So they get very interested and involved in AIDS-related work. And then from there, they move on to other global health issues. And I have seen that uh, happening in our own campus. Also, um, the amount of resources that are allocated to global health has increased tremendously. That is true from public sources, from government, mm -hmm. but also from foundations. If you just think of the Bill and Melinda Gates Foundation, if you think of the Clinton Foundation, there's just a lot more funds available, which means there are more jobs and career choices available for mm -hmm. our students. Um, we can't underestimate the role of celebrities. Uh, if you think of Bono, sure. there are people who are now engaged in global health that um, young people tend to um, pay attention to. And finally, I would say 9-11 and the aftermath of 9-11 mm -hmm. and the two wars that have been going on. I think for some of our students, a response to what's been happening is a desire to want to heal the, the world and they get involved in global health issues. How did you yourself become involved in global health? Well, um, my parents are both physicians, mm -hmm. so I was kind of in the health, exposed to health issues mm -hmm. uh, from a young age. And also I was born in Iran and came to United States at the age of 17. So 
um, I was kind of already familiar with uh, being an immigrant and some of the health issues that immigrants have to deal with. So when I chose, I was interested in medicine initially and then uh, decided to move towards more of a public health career. Mm -hmm. So I came to Yale uh, to pursue a public health degree. And when I came uh, in late 80s, I was interested in what was then called international health. Mm -hmm. And uh, I remember there was uh, literally a single course at our School of Public Health, and uh, things have certainly changed uh, since then. And how uh, you do teach students um, how to go out into the world and do research, how do you go about training them? What are some things that, in particular, that they need to be very aware of? Right. Um, I would say for graduate students, mm -hmm. there are a number of courses that offers them research methods, and they could be quite equipped to go into the field mm -hmm. to do the work. But I've noticed that among our undergraduates, um, there weren't too many courses that prepared them for mm -hmm. taking on independent research projects. So a few years ago, I started a global health research workshop. This was a non-credit uh, workshop which simply engaged with undergraduate students who increasingly were asking for assistance to do independent research in some very difficult situations. So that workshop went on for about three years. And then in 2009, I turned that into a course. So now there is a course that I teach, and I think you mentioned it. It's a global health research methods and ethics course. Mm -hmm. And we spend the whole semester working with undergraduates primarily to take their ideas and interest in global health and turn it into a feasible, scientifically sound, ethically sound research projects and help Can them. you give an example um, of a student that has gone to Africa, for, for example, and what have they done there? Just um, to give us a feel for, yeah, for the what students, exactly they're doing. Sure. The students actually are quite ambitious. Mm -hmm. um, the kinds of students that I interact with uh, tend to want to work in the field. They want to work in resource-poor, resource-limited countries mm -hmm. um, throughout the world. Some of them actually in the United States. I've had students who wanted to work in uh, inner city or in the reservations, etc. And we remind them that the United States is part of the globe, so it is okay to do research sure. here. Um, but students have looked at, uh, just past year, um, looked at hypertension in Kenya. Mm -hmm. um, when we think of a lot of the African countries, we often think of infectious diseases, which sure. are still very common and prevalent there. But there's a rise in um, chronic diseases and risk factors for those, such as hypertension. I had a student who was quite interested in the rise in obesity among um, children in China. Mm -hmm. So she went there and she worked with kindergarten um, students and basically observed their eating habits and nutritional habits and uh, sort of did a study of that. Mm -hmm. Are there any surprises or things that students need to be aware of that perhaps they, they don't necessarily think of before they embark on a project abroad? I would say definitely yes. <laughs> uh, it's always the case that when they go abroad, they are um, confronted with situations that they were not really used to. Uh, but I must say that increasingly we are finding that our students are well-traveled. Mm -hmm. um, you know, they've spent weeks, sometimes months, just traveling with family or just doing volunteer work. But now they want to go back and do an actual research project. 
-hmm. Nevertheless, they're often surprised by the level of poverty they, they uh, witness, but also lack of basic medical care, um, poor infrastructure. I'm talking about roads. I'm talking about electricity. I'm talking about having access to internet. They're so used to being plugged in all the time and getting answers to questions they may have. And now they're in a situation where uh, there's no electricity, they cannot connect to the internet, and they have to do a lot of problem solving on their own without access to the outside world. So it does tend to surprise them. Mm -hmm. The other thing that I've um, heard from students is the sense of hope and uh, resiliency that some of the people who are really struggling with very difficult situations, nevertheless, sort of have this um, hopefulness about them um, and uh, tend to thrive uh, under very difficult situations. And that's quite inspiring for our students to see. What about some of the ethical considerations? Do you, do you have certain guidelines that students have to follow around the ethics of, of going to another country and um, dealing with sensitive, perhaps, um, medical information, that kind of thing? Um, absolutely. I would say we've been taking the ethical issues very seriously in the last couple of years. And as I tell my students, uh, ethics and research methods go hand in hand. And ethical issues should not be an afterthought. It should be something that they think about from the design phase when they're thinking about their proposal and beginning to put their proposal together all the way through when they're in the field conducting the research and then coming back and analyzing the results and thinking about how those results should be used to improve the situation that they, they witnessed. So um, yes, there's been a lot of emphasis on that. What are some of the ethical issues, you know? What comes up? Uh, I would yeah. say um, maybe we, I think we can put the ethical issues into three buckets. Mm -hmm. One are um, sort of human subjects issues, the kinds of things we think about in terms of informed consent, mm -hmm. voluntary participation, etc. There are others that are more about regulation of research. So that includes things like um, if you want to go overseas and if you want to do research in another country, the requirements are that you seek approval, ethical approval from your own institution, so Yale, but you also need to get a local IRB or institution review board to um, approve your project. So there is need for dual approval, and mm -hmm. some of the students are not aware of this. They arrive at the sort of host country, host institution, and they're surprised to find out that their Yale approval is not sufficient. So we try to prepare them for that. But I would say the, the most uh, challenging one is personal ethics. Mm -hmm. Because again, they're confronted with issues and situations where they're not quite sure what to do about. Mm -hmm. They go to do research and uncover a lot of unmet health needs, whether there are former child soldiers and they've been interviewing them about mental health issues, or they're working with street children in uh, slums of Kenya. They feel um, hopeless and helpless in terms of being able to actually meet the needs of those children once the research is done. Mm -hmm. So they come back uh, sometimes quite, um, I would say disturbed by some of the things they have seen and they, they have a need to talk about it. Mm -hmm. And uh, we do, um, we've been increasingly providing a sort of forum for them to, to discuss mm -hmm. these ethical issues that they have encountered 
when they come back. And in fact, some of the medical students who came back a few years ago, um, we had a series of discussions and we decided that these ethical issues that they have been confronting with, it's worth writing them uh, as a case study to use as an educational tool. And then we found out there was interest in medical schools all around the country in our case studies mm -hmm. because they were being confronted with the same issues and those case studies have now been published and uh, they have been uh, sort of made available to other uh, schools where mm -hmm. they are sending students overseas. Very good. And culturally, I would imagine students must get some kind of training or um, uh, and, and language too. So, uh, you know, how, how are they prepared in terms of language and being culturally aware, I would say? Um, hugely important. Uh, linguistic skills, cultural competencies. Um, I at least tend to emphasize the fact that if you are going to another country to conduct research, you must have a working knowledge of the local language. And many students actually do. Mm -hmm. It also depends on the kind of research they're about to undertake. If it's mostly a sort of laboratory-based research project, they are not, um, they don't necessarily need to, to have proficiency in the local language. Um, often the people who are working in the medical field um, speak English. But they're f if they're going out into the community and going into the field and doing more qualitative research, mm -hmm. they really need to understand the language and they need to be proficient in it because relying on somebody to translate for you is really not the best way to get um, valid data. Sure. And finally, um, where do you think global health education is going down the road? Great question. Um, the universities are really, um, this is sort of what they've been thinking about. And uh, there are literally drafts being circulated um, among universities that begins to define what are the core competencies. So if you're developing a global health program, mm -hmm. what are the core competencies that we want the students to have? Sure. And it is an evolving field. Um, people are sort of trying to uh, get their minds around it. And it's very much something that Yale is involved in. Mm -hmm. And there, there's actually a meeting coming up in November in Montreal. And part of that is to get global health educators together to talk about some of these issues mm -hmm. of what are the main issues that we need to communicate to our sure. students and prepare them. Very good. Thank you so much for being here with us today. You're most welcome. Thank you. For more information about Professor Kushnut and his research, please visit our website at yale.edu backslash Macmillan Report. Be sure to join us again for another episode of the Macmillan Report, made possible through funding from the Whitney and Betty Macmillan Center for International and Area Studies at Yale.